You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. All right. We're ready to start, but before we start, I'm just going to jump right into it. Here's the deal we have for you. We want five new monthly donors. And if we get five new monthly donors in the next week, and you just you can give anything, you can give five dollars a month. You give us that, Mr. Fred Perkins will share on our next episode the story about how he was chased by a tank. Okay, this was not some anti-war protest. This was nothing of the sorts at all. He was not over enemy lines. He was not. He was just in his literally in his backyard, and he was chased by a tank. So, because you might enjoy our podcast, but what you don't know what happens when we stop recording. Fred starts sharing parts of his life that scare Michael and I and to entertain us. And we figured, hey, if we can get five new monthly donors, five bucks a month, it helps us predict our revenue, makes our lives much easier. Fred Perkins will share the story about how he's chased by a tank. Have you donated yet? No, but I'm in. I, oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> okay. Hey, Fred, you could be one of the monthly donors. <laughs> I'm not paying to hear the story again. <laughs> I would. Anyway, uh, let's start off with uh, our favorite cruise news. Uh, so we've talked about how cruise runs over fire hoses, runs into parked buses. There's a new phenomenon now where people are crashing into cruise vehicles in San Francisco and then driving away. They're doing hit and runs on these autonomous vehicles. We do not support this, um, but it's a it's a strange situation. Um, that happens, and it's interesting, and this is an article we'll link to in NBC News, where uh, somebody from Cruise says, hey, the people involved in the crash have an obligation to at least stop and exchange information. Exchange information with an autonomous vehicle. Who are you exchanging information with? There's no one in the car. Who are you, like, what, what are they asking for? I don't know. Anyone? How does the exchange take place? I mean, I'm assuming that um, what you would be doing is sitting there on scene until Cruz could get a human out to uh, exchange information with you. Um, but well, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out if there's a higher rate of of the hit and run behaviors here. So you know, obviously, there's a lot of crashes where one of the drivers just leaves the scene. Um, we see that a lot with stolen vehicles and, and, and in other situations, but here you've got people hitting a car, maybe even a minor collision with no damage. Um, of course, these cars are very expensive, uh, with all the instrumentation they have on them. So minor damage is, is relative to, you know, a million dollar vehicle. Um, but there's no, I mean, I would be confused. You know, you're sitting there. I'm not supposed to stand outside the car. I think maybe they have some kind of microphone on the outside of the car that could communicate with me from headquarters. I'm not really sure, but I can see where people get confused and are like, well, I'm not going to sit here all day and wait. Um, I'm out, especially if there's not much, not, not any damage. Now, when there's a situation where you've actually damaged another vehicle and it's obvious leaving the scene is just an asshole move. Well, they mentioned in the article that the people can, there's a way for crews back at their headquarters to communicate with people. There's some sort of exterior speakers and exterior microphones, but imagine that. You get in a little fender bender, 
There's no one in the car, and you're having a conversation on the side of the road with nothing. But, like, other people are going to stop. They're going to 5150 you because you look like a crazy person now having a full-blown conversation with Well, nothing. not only that, but if you, if, if you run into a vehicle with nobody in it, there's not exactly the same moral and ethical force compelling you to remain at the scene in some ways. I and mean, I could see people who know these vehicles don't have a human in them um, hitting them and saying, well, I'm out. I mean, there's just, there's no real, and it's almost like there's a, a different sort of, you didn't actually hit a human, you hit a piece of equipment. There's a sort of somewhat different calculation, I think, that goes on in the human mind at that point that might lead more people to leave the scene. Possibly, but I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've all been downloaded with Gates microchips. You know, this is a this is an automatic mechanism that allows us to subliminally communicate with these cruise vehicles and exchange the information. So it's only the people who are unvaccinated who I think really have this problem. Hey, look, I've been vaccinated. I still have it. Okay. Actually, I don't have it anymore. It's been cleared. I'm going to call up Bill Gates asking my money back. I mean, the vaccine was free, but still, you know, he's got money to spare. But so I want to know, Kyle from Cruz. Kyle, we know you're listening. We know you're listening. So come tell us, what do you expect from people? And this is a, it's it's going to be a real issue. Like what happens when two autonomous vehicles with nobody in either of them crash into each other? Like how do they communicate with each other? Is it going to be two interns back at a, back at some remote warehouses yelling at each other over loudspeakers in these cars? Like, I, I it's don't confusing. Get it. I mean, it's, well, it's just one of many thousands of things, I think, that, that needs to be worked out before we see any real broad, full-scale deployment of this kind of technology. Well, speaking of more AV stuff, so uh, Ford officially pulled the plug on their AV, or did they? We kind of talked about how Ford and Volkswagen shut down their Argo right. unit a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and they're moving towards level three, they say, which is basically conditional automation they are moving towards the idea that well you if you I, i'm not sure if we discussed this last week but the ford ceo saying that their 2025 ford lightnings are going to allow drivers to go to sleep at 60 miles an hour which is an utter crock and i don't think will happen but it's you know it's that kind of thinking that 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 it just mystifies me, but they're, they pulled out of the petition they filed while they were engaged with VW and Argo. Um, I don't expect they're going anywhere. I mean, kind of like you've seen with Toyota and EVs when the industry's moving in a certain direction, um, well, it doesn't pay to be left behind. And so Ford is, is never going to be the, the, the company that's left behind here. They're going to figure out a way to get back into AVs one way or the other. And I think we already saw news that they had basically taken most of the engineers and folks from Argo and are having them, you know, work for Ford uh, directly now in the United States. So we'll see. I, I, I don't think Ford's going anywhere. They That petition was, you know, flawed in many respects anyway so it's probably a good thing they, they withdrew it hey have you ever seen have you guys ever seen the uh reflective tape and reflective road signs that you know you shine the headlights on them and it beams it right back to you <clears throat> well i was in a 
meeting this week and one of the regulatory bodies or one of the uh, industry groups trying to develop regulations for AVs. And it was interesting because the subject of reflectivity came up, right? So you expect a human driver to look at, at signs that has reflective tape on it and you immediately read it and see that. The question came up, what does that really mean? I mean, you've got three types of reflection that you can have, you know, specular reflection, diffuse reflection, and you can have retro reflection, <laughs> excuse me, retro reflection. And so how much, you know, intensity does, does that have to be to associate properly with the control system on the vehicle? And I only bring this up because it's not particularly interesting, but it points out the immaturity of the regulations and the design information that's going into these AVs right now. Something as fundamental as how well can a vehicle respond to a road sign that has reflective tape on it, announcing some you know condition for the road, roads out, danger, bridge out, what have you. There's no understanding at the engineering level of how to do this or even what it means. And it leads me to think that that the strategy for the AV promoters right now <clears throat> is similar to the gun lobby and that they want to have so many of these things on the road so quickly that regulation becomes a, a fait accompli or the you know, the lack of regulation becomes a fait accompli. And they you know reach the point where they say, well, you know, we've got 10 million of these on, on the roads right now. We It's simply impractical to go back and put regulations in place that are going to apply to all these vehicles. So it really, in my mind, emphasized the urgency of the government getting off its butt, getting out there, putting some regulations in place that are meaningful and will, in fact, direct how this technology is proliferating and being brought onto the streets before a catastrophe happens and before it becomes, you know, too big to regulate. Right. Does and that I would, make any sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense, especially if you look at the way that crash avoidance systems are developing right now in front of our eyes in America, where they're, they've been installed in vehicles for, you know, around 12, 15 years now, and there's absolutely zero regulations on them. And they're in, you know, tens of millions of vehicles now. So it's... They successfully stalled automatic emergency braking regs for years now. Um, we're finally hoping we're going to get some of those in the next two years. Um, but this is a common tactic. It's also why they're going out and trying to preempt localities from being able to do any type of regulation. They're pursuing it at a state level. Um, and then they're going to the federal level and trying to preempt these states from doing anything. They they literally want a regulatory vacuum in which to deploy as many of the, these vehicles as they'd like um, and any way they'd like, because that's how they're going to make the most money. Um, and I think what we and many other people are trying to point out is, first of all, there's I'm still not seeing a use case for this strategy. I mean, I don't think there are that many people out there in America that want to ride around in one of these things. I don't think they offer the disabled or other people any advantages. In fact, they offer them less than an Uber or other ride share would offer them. And I, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm not saying the technology won't work and be great someday. Maybe it will, but the way it's being rolled out now and some of the promises that are made, 
to support the technology and ultimately to support profits and investment in this technology um, is is just kind of outrageous. Well, just to quickly follow up that thought, I want to reemphasize that there is no data available anywhere in the world that says automatic vehicles are as safe as human drivers under any circumstances. There's just no data that supports that. There is no data that says they're better under any circumstances. And there is a lot of data saying they're simply not there. They're not as safe as human drivers or human drivers in conventional vehicles in a lot of circumstances. So, uh, you know, I think that bears repeating. Well, Kyle Musk Trump Jr. from Cruz will disagree. I mean, he's made up all sorts of facts around this. No, but that's. That comment aside, that's I'm, that's that's not probably just a GM thing. I mean, obviously, we've seen Musk and right. Tesla do twenty times the bullshit that uh, GM has done with Cruz. I mean, Cruz has been relatively careful in their introduction of this up until you know some of their more recent fantastical comments, um, which Ford seems to be joining in on as well. Which is it's kind of concerning when you start seeing, you know, Ford as pushed back on Tesla a little bit in the past, but when you see them adopt some of the similar marketing strategies of saying, oh, you're going to be able to do this in two years when you're not, um, it's disappointing. Yeah. So how how does this work? So um, Ford and other companies, they apply for a temporary exemption from federal motor vehicle safety requirements like that. So they, they, they say, hey, we don't know if these cars are safe. Actually, they're saying, these cars probably aren't safe. They're not going to pass these things. Put them out. Oh, they the can't say that. <laughs> well, I, they're not. What they're saying is say basically, that. we're building this car with no steering wheel, no brake pedals, yada, yada, yada. All these things that are required by your motor vehicle safety standards. We don't need them anymore in these vehicles. So what we want you to do is, but, and this is the caveat, they're saying, but, even without those pieces in the vehicle, these vehicles are as safe or safer than um, what, you know, a a car like this that had those features. Um, But they're making a bet that, hey, without these things, these cars will be safe. Yeah, well, I mean, every time a manufacturer puts a vehicle out on the market, they're making a bet. You know, with recalls, for instance, it's really difficult to find a, a vehicle that hasn't been recalled, that has zero recalls ever. Um, and that's because, you know, there's a lot of little safety issues that can crop up and it's really difficult to design, you know, the perfectly safe vehicle if that's been done yet. Um, do, do other industries get to play this game too? Like, can I be a food manufacturer and be like, Hey, this potato chips fat free. It just, well, before well, they do. They chips, do. I just want to follow yeah. up what Michael said. There were yeah. special provisions in the law for vehicles that have alternative fuels like batteries, okay? So what the automobile companies will sometimes do, and maybe often do, is to say, well, you know, we've got batteries, so we're, we're you know, subject to this special provision that gives priority to people with low carbon, con- low carbon technology and yada, yada, yada. And oh, by the way, we've got this whole truckload of uh, technology that we're going to bring along with it that you have to associate with it because yeah it's AV but it's associated with an electric with a electric drive so let's just go ahead and approve the whole thing and you know let's put it out on the road because it's got that battery it's the camel's nose under the tent flap strategy also okay, getting so- your foot in the door yeah 
Yeah. So this is back to, again, my naive view that the auto industry is almost like the Wild West. They're, they're well, it is. Yeah, they I mean, put cars out and say, "Hey, just we we beg for forgiveness. We're not asking permission," kind of thing. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's yeah. that's the way. I mean, I don't think that's anything new in this era. I mean, that's how they've operated now for, you know, since well before any of us were alive, <laughs> even Fred. So, I don't know. It's 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 a tough area in AVs to really regulate at this point because we just. <laughs> There's just not a lot of data. We don't know exactly whether these vehicles are something that we really need. Um, and when it comes to testing on public roads right now, I just, it seems like they're adding problems to the roads and we've already got enough problems. Um, a lot of the things they're doing could be tested, you know, driving through a flat city street and with that's well marked could be tested in ways that don't involve putting innocent people at risk now so far the you know the track record isn't horrible it's not like they're running over people and there's a lot of deaths or injuries involved they're they're, they're doing it somewhat carefully so what i think i would be more worried about is if for instance you know that we keep seeing av bills come through that start exempting vehicles up into eighty thousands numbers like that over a period of years and when you start to add up the way that some of that legislation is drafted i mean you could literally see a flood of millions of these vehicles all at once however i'm skeptical with, with the cost and the all of the engineering and things that have to go into these vehicles and the maintenance that you know, that reality is, is I think, still pushing. I don't think they can do it, even though that's maybe what they want to do. Well, safely. Fred's <laughs> muted. Fred, still muted. Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Okay. Um, if the metric that you're using is deaths per mile, remember the, the standard that is is pretty well established is of the order of one death per 100 million miles driven. If you include the numbers of deaths associated with Tesla on using autopilot or Tesla using any other automatic driving technology, along with the Uber experience, along right. with the other vehicles, they are nowhere close, nowhere close to the well-established standard for highway safety relative to numbers of deaths per mile driven. There's, you know... There have been many deaths. They're nowhere close to 100 million miles. So I'm, I'm going to differ with you a little bit on that, Michael. I can, I can hear the howls coming out of Detroit that you just included Tesla in with Cruz and, 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 and Ford and Waymo in this. But because they are probably very skeptical, as am I, that Tesla should ever have been or even be included in that, in that um, category because they simply have never offered a vehicle that could even approach, you know, what Waymo and Cruise are doing right now. No, but they are offering vehicles where people sit back and relax and take their hands off the steering wheel and right. end up dead. Right. Yeah, that's because their marketing says, hey, this car will drive itself. You paid 15 grand. You're a good person. Sit back. Let the car take over. Don't worry, baby. Yeah. It's that sounds like a good segue into TikTok, Anthony. <laughs> oh, we want to go to TikTok? See, I was going to go into something else. Now I got to find where TikTok is in the note. Oh, yeah. So this is the craziest thing. Car companies, I don't understand what they're doing. Like, they, they put all these screens inside cars. And I think 
it's great. There's a lot of stuff that's really helpful. You got maps, really good to know. Um, that's really the extent of it. Okay, you got maps. Maps are really good. Uh, but now they're like, hey, we want to make sure your car will have Zoom calls and do TikTok videos. And why the hell would you do this? And you can play Netflix. I understand maybe the backseat passengers want to distract children because kids don't want to read anymore or play I Spy with my little eye. Yeah. Why? Who's asking for this? Well, we're asking for this, just like we're asking for massive, you know, electric SUVs with 20 million mile range. You know, we're, we're, we're consumers are asking for this stuff and throwing their money at it. That's why it's been put out there. Um, I really, you think people who buy cars are like, I want to make sure it has. Well, Mercedes says their customers are demanding video conferencing. Now, here's the thing with this, with this story, they, there isn't anyone that we know of right now in America, building cars and put them on the road that allow the driver to, um, surf TikTok or to, do a podcast over zoom uh or or anything else with with video conferencing now that's what mercedes is saying their customers are demanding they've qualified for nevada's level three certification which which supposedly allows them to um in traffic situations i think it's like below 40 miles per hour in heavy traffic the driver at that point is allowed to, uh, I think it's called like pro pilot or some experience within the Mercedes where the driver, the car basically goes into a semi-autonomous mode and the driver is able to zoom, do TikTok. These are the integrations they're building in. I mean, if you start with those two, you know that eventually anything else that you want to do is going to be put into that ecosystem like Netflix or whatever people want to watch or do while they're driving driving a car here. So it's we don't think that that this is we're anywhere near the point where people can do a video conference and then be expected to take over control of the vehicle should a safety issue arise. There needs to be a lot more research done and the time it takes people to transition from playing video games, Netflix, all these different things, sleeping like Ford says is coming in two years um, to a state where they can take control of the vehicle and make sure that it's uh, avoiding whatever hazards have been since that type of thing. So it makes sense that it's only been approved in Nevada for Mercedes in those situations, kind of the very slow moving traffic. I could see how that might be the first area that would work. And, and it's an area where frankly, a lot of drivers are frustrated, bored, and they're look, they, you know, if they have time and an opportunity to get work done, they might like to, I think if it can be done safely, that's fine. But right now we're not there. Right. Cause it's that whole question. Can it be done? Safely? And, and what I would like is if I, I want to drive my car and play a video game at the same time, but I want to play a racing video game. I want to play a car simulating game while driving my car. That would be the ultimate because wait, is this real? Is this fake? Ooh. Yeah, that's just scary. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know where this technology is going. I mean, frankly, I don't know. I don't, particularly want to do any of this stuff while operating a vehicle uh whether it's 
controlling itself supposedly or not even in heavy traffic it just it seems dangerous i mean it's it, to me it's one of those things it's like wearing headphones while you're out for a jog and you're unable to hear anything around you you're you're effectively putting yourself into a uh zone where your focus is completely removed from the driving task and depending on how well the vehicle warns, buzzes, does whatever it does to get you back into shape it, it is critical. I mean, that's that's and I just don't think there's been enough research done in that area for companies to put systems into play that allow humans to drift out while they're supposed to be engaged in the driving task. I, I just don't think we're there yet. I'm sure Mercedes has used their fancy test track out in the Alps to thoroughly put this technology through its paces in all conceivable traffic circumstances before they'd ever release it, right? I mean, they'd never do anything well, that is Mercedes, unsafe or untested. You know, Mercedes' track record on safety is fairly good when we compare them to most of the other auto companies. I think from our perspective, their cars are certainly built in a manner that's been very crash-worthy over the years, but, you know, they are starting to push the envelope on some of this, and you know, a lot. You know, some of this adaptive cruise control technology has been out for many years, and Mercedes has been at the forefront of some of it. And because they, you know, they're at the forefront of luxury and providing their drivers with a uh, an experience that is probably nothing like you know the experience was of drivers of a stick shift pickup in the '60s with the windows rolled down. You know, it's a much more. <clears throat> you know, it's almost like they're catering luxury to their customers. And so this is the next step. I mean, as we see vehicles that claim to be able to operate without human involvement um, sold, we're going to see more and more companies say, hey, we can do this. And at that point, the sky's the limit. I mean, you see Volkswagen, even in the article we're talking about saying that, you know, they basically want to turn a car into a living room. <laughs> which i mean they're coming out saying it so we know what's next all these technology all this all this uh entertainment essentially and leisure activity is going to be and maybe some productivity is going to be put into vehicles um and it, it, it's concerning i mean i mean i just don't know it i don't know i i don't really know how to know how to express what i'm what i'm thinking about it but it's it's certainly concerning well with with auto manufacturers doing things like this and we were just talking about with the trying to exempt regulations around autonomous vehicles no it would be amazing if there existed a consumer advocacy organization working to make roads and cars safer i'd call it the center for auto safety i, I mean mind blown right and hey maybe it exists if you go to autosafety.org click on donate and you become a monthly donor Hey, we're closer to getting Fred talk about being chased by a tank. He was just a boy. He was just a boy. Okay, he wasn't. It wasn't a, a Vietnam protest. It yeah. wasn't against the Korean War. It wasn't against you know World War II. It was nothing. He was just you know he wasn't reliving a Eugene V. Debs fantasy. I mean, were there tanks when Debs was alive? Yeah, there was tanks then. So anyway, look, the, I, that this right here is a key reason why this organization needs to exist and why you need to continue to support us. And speaking of another reason to support us, because then you get to hear about crazy things like uh, Tesla. So Tesla replaced the steering wheels in their cars. They used to be a nice circular steering wheel, just like we're all used to in your car right now. And they replaced it with a yoke, which is basically imagine your steering wheel now, but cut off the top half and the bottom half. 
So it almost looks like an F1 steering wheel or like in a Star Wars fighter pilot thing. And so Tesla said, hey, this is the way to go. If you want that circular steering wheel, give us 700 bucks, which I think is like pretty, pretty gutsy. Hey, you want. And so what happened is all their customers said, yeah, this uh, yoke steering wheel is kind of stupid. Uh, we've been driving with circles for, I don't know, my entire life. I'm used to where my hands go. I would like the round steering wheel. And Tesla's like, well, you give us 700 bucks, we'll give it to you. But, oh, we ran out of circular steering wheels. How does that get through? Like, oh, this is... Well, there's no there's no motor vehicle safety standard that requires you to have a round steering wheel. And we know Tesla likes to push push the limits of the motor vehicle safety standards and push NHTSA's buttons in general. I don't think this came out of that other than just a, a marketing gimmick to sell more vehicles to their customers. But, you know... Or get 700 yeah, bucks for yoke, them proper Yoke things. steering, I mean, it can work. And it can work safely. Um, but it requires a lot more... Um, vehicle design around that type of steering because you're not your steering wheel isn't connected to a steering shaft where the driver has ultimate control there a yoke steering wheel requires electronics and drive-by wire steering and it also requires the vehicle to provide the driver with inputs about road conditions and other things because you've basically separated the driver from a direct connection to their um steering system so it's um i don't think tesla did it right really and in fact i was watching a video yesterday there's a lexus that has a yoke steering wheel and they talk about all of the um i was watching a video that talks about all the design that has to go into a yoke steering wheel I and mean, there are just so many factors you have to consider because the driver we, we get a lot of information about the road and about the condition of our vehicle from our steering and um, braking and other interactions with the vehicle that when you remove that direct connection with the steering has to be replaced. Um, so there's a lot of feedback that that the system has to give drivers with yoke steering to ensure that they're re receiving that information. Uh, another piece of greed from auto companies is General Motors has decided in their future vehicles they're dropping uh, Apple and Android integration into their cars. So now uh, a lot of you, you connect your phone up to your car and it gets to broadcast, you know, Google Maps or Apple Maps or or whatever you have on your phone into the phone's ed entertainment system. And the reason this is people love this is because cars built in systems are awful. On like, for example, my Toyota, um, if I click the maps button, it's like, oh, you haven't paid for this feature. Uh, you have to download some software, pay a monthly subscription fee, which is crazy because I can just plug in my phone and get it for free. Uh, so GM is making it so you can no longer use your phones moving forward, <laughs> which is just like. <laughs> it's, it's just it's bizarre to me that auto companies keep thinking they can jump into these spaces and do better than Apple's and Google's of the world who have put a whole lot more research and have more money, frankly, to throw at the problem than they do. I'm, you know, every car I've owned or that I've seen anyone else own that has these type of systems. You know, I, I know some people use the Apple CarPlay and the Android Auto. Um, it sounds like GM is moving away from both of those in the future. I think they're sticking with some Android applications for now, but 
people are pretty much married to their phones. I mean, I can certainly see uh, down the road when they've killed Apple CarPlay, a lot of people that are tied to Apple won't buy GMs. I mean, it's pretty simple. I, I don't think that's very far outside the realm of possibility at all. And I think it will happen. Um, but this also points to, you know, this isn't some new thing in the industry. I mean, essentially everything they can build themselves and silo off and sell at a profit, they're going to. So when they see, you know, an interface in the car that another company is making money off of, they do not want that. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this in battery swapping, but it's very similar. Every brand wants to be making and manufacturing their own batteries because it's going to be a profit source. Um, if, you know, a third party company that made batteries that were 20 times lighter with a thousand mile range came out right now, everybody would be trying to copy that technology and build their own version of it versus licensing that version. That's kind of how the industry has worked over the years. And it's why a lot of cars have like a hundred different computers that Intel has called dinosaurs in them because they're just not, they're not modern, uh, you know, good quality com computing parts, and they don't work as well as what could be designed by a company that manufactures computer systems. So this is just something that, that's always happening in the industry. They're always trying to monetize something here. What they see, obviously, is an opportunity to make people connect through this system and, and bump up their subscription numbers so that they can have a lot of money coming in each month. Yeah, this is okay. You want to use maps or TikTok, I guess? Pay us a monthly fee on top of your current financing charges that you're doing to it. It really it's it's that whole nickel and diming the consumer. Um Yeah. I, I don't I it's easily becoming more dangerous because you're gonna go back to the days of no longer having your phone hooked into the larger screen inside your car and you're just gonna be trying to read a map off of your small phone screen. Yeah, maybe somebody should invent a device that could <clears throat> hold your phone up you know within your field of view so that you could use that instead of the entertainment system that comes with the car i, th I think there's a real market for that and you know I, I encourage anybody who's got a you know that invention in mind to think seriously about it there's an innovation center i could direct you to but but call it in and you know if you got you know, the, any ideas about how people could look at their phone while they drive rather than use a crappy entertainment system we'd love to hear it Ladies and gentlemen, Fred Perkins. <laughs> um, all right. So I'll, I'm just kind of jumping around all over the place on topics this week. I apologize, listeners. I've got a little ADHD this week. But here's one that, um, that I want to get to that we've only just kind of briefly discussed over email. But I think Michael had some great comments on it. And I, I know Fred definitely does, too. This is the uh, weight versus range debate. So there's this whole push in the EV, electric, you know, electric cars, to we want to have as much range as possible because there's some myth that people want to drive their car for 500 miles while towing a truck uphill and not have to start stop to recharge it because, you know, that's how most people drive. I mean, I think studies show it's like the average person does like 20 miles, 30 miles a day or something like that instead of 500 miles. So there's a new, um, you know, another battery technology uh, using silicone, which uh, helps reduce the weight of batteries and improves the charge cycle, I believe, which is pretty neat. And we were talking about this, um, is that, are people going to opt for the 
lower weight, which makes vehicles safer for everybody on the road? Or are they going to say, no, let's pump it up and let's get this mythical 500-mile range that some guy claims he uh, needs? I, I think... I think the industry and consumers are currently opting for the latter. I think that's very clear. Um, and you can see it because every time an article comes out and these batteries sound, I didn't see anything in the article about, you know, the, the fire side of these batteries, but they offer increased energy density. So it's important to understand that when you, when you, when you get better energy density, you can either use it to increase the range of the vehicle, um, or you can use it to decrease the weight of the vehicle by, uh, downsizing the battery, um, because the battery will get more, you know, the same range per, per unit of weight as, or, or, I'll let Fred talk about that. I can't even put that in my head right now. But the energy density of the battery, as we make these gains in the next decade, two decades, three decades, are we going to be putting those gains into pushing vehicles that can drive, you know, a thousand miles on one charge? Or are we actually going to take those gains and use them to reduce fatalities and injuries um, on the road? And right now, if I had to guess, I would say that it looks like everyone is more concerned about range than they are about the weight of these vehicles and the, the changes that those are going to bring. Um, and that's a problem. I mean, that's a problem if, if, if the first, you know, 10, 15 years of electrification, 20 years, uh, the next 20 years are all spent adding range to these vehicles and ultimately increasing the weights of all of them. Um, and not doing anything to reduce that weight, then uh, I I don't think I think there's an inevitable um, rise in, in fatalities and injuries on our roads d due to those added weights. I used to see in the parking lot of our local grocery store uh, a lot of SUVs that had rhubarbs on the front of them. You know, the ward off kangaroos, and some of them even had snorkels so that you could drive your your vehicle through flooded creeks and not stall out the engine. Uh, They're popular for a while, but eventually sanity took over and people stopped buying the stupid accessories for their vehicles after realizing that they virtually never used it. So uh, I, I think that this debate about range versus weight is going to follow some of the same cycle. I, I, people will, you know, if they have to pay extra for a battery or longer range, and I think Ford is doing that now, all right? We've read that. Um, I think people will start to consider, you know, how much do they really need this extra range and how much, what is it really buying me and what is it really giving up? I think the insurance companies could play a role here too in tying the liability of damage from the, an insured vehicle to the weight of the vehicle. Uh, that's a that's an easy equation to to follow, and I don't think there's any reason why that couldn't be the case. I think right now the insurance companies certainly do adjust the rate for your insurance based upon certain features you have in your car, like if you have an anti-theft mechanism or self-locking, right? There's the various options you can get to reduce the charge for insurance. So my guess is that over time, Sanity will prevail. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we can expect that to come from the government on its own. 
I think that this is uh, something that's just going to have to work itself out in time. But I can, I agree with you, Michael. I, I don't think there's any reason why people have to go for an exorbitant range because they've got to spend, you know, 15 minutes once every year to stop the car somewhere and recharge it on their way up to Lake Placid. Uh, you know, this is, it's just part of, of owning an electric vehicle, I think, but it's going to take time for people to absorb that. Yeah, this is interesting. Listeners, I'm I'm curious what you think. Um what kind of range do you need? Like what what's convenient for you? So send us an email, contact at autosafety.org and let us know. Cause I think I've talked about this before. Is once a year my wife and I will drive from New York to Maine. And along the way we have to stop one or two times. Um and we stop, you know, at least once for fuel, but we wind up going to a convenience store and getting some sort of snack or something and probably we stop another time for, you know, a bio break or something like that. But I, I, we're not stopping there racing at the pump. Like each time, each stop is at least 20, 30 minutes. Like with modern, with the, the fancier batteries, that's enough time to recharge them from 10% to 80%. And that's, you know, batteries that will have a 300 mile range. And do I need a 500 mile range? I mean, are you literally going to be in a car for five hours and not stop? I mean, I, I get it if you're wearing a diaper and you're a NASA astronaut and you're driving across the South to stop your boyfriend's current wife or something like that. But beyond that scenario, is this how people drive? I don't. I mean, but you know, I, I when I go, I go about 10 hours sometimes and, and not straight, but... I will have to stop once, I believe, uh, in that time period, and I try to make it brief. But you know, I'm I'm an odd duck like that. I, if if you're with other people, also, it's nearly impossible not to stop. Yeah, um, yeah. But even if you're stopping to fuel, right. like you're going inside and doing something else. Like you're you're there for at least what twenty minutes. Well, I'm an engineer. I don't know that many normal people, so I can't really, you know, qualify the comment too much. But, uh, you know, if you're on keto, you're going to have an urgent need to get some fried pork rind somewhere. And you do have to take the break to get in there and, you know, pull Jack's fried pork rinds off the rack and, you know, settle down a little bit. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think there's an argument to be made for relaxing. In fact, my car begins to nag me after about that amount of time to just stop and take a break because of things I've been driving for too long. So yeah, I get this. Yeah. One. Maybe, you know, again, but you know, I don't know what normal people do and you guys are going to have to fill me in on that. Jack's pork rinds available at your local Piggly Wiggly. Woohoo. How many weeks have we gone without Piggly Wiggly? <laughs> too many, too many. Yeah. Too many. Um, all right. I mean, I'm, I'm again. I'm jumping ahead, but uh, Fred, uh, how do you feel up for doing the, the Tao of Fred? Or you need to take a break and eat some pork? Sure, you've now entered you guys the Tao of Fred. I just want to go cough for a while. So, hey, welcome to the Tao of Fred. This week, back to the Consumer AV Bill of Rights number seven. Number seven, <clears throat> AVs shall safely transition between political boundaries without increasing the risk of injury or death. Excuse me. So right now there are no national regulations. Every every AV regulation comes either from a state or a city or some municipality. <clears throat> There's no reason to expect them to all be the same. So 
how you know how would this manifest itself? Well, an obvious example is if you're driving from Ireland to uh, France, right? You put your car on a ferry, and when you go from Ireland to France, you find out that people are driving on the other side of the road. You're going from right-hand drive to left-hand drive. Is your car going to be able to do this? Clearly, if your car, if your AV is only set up for right-hand driving, you're going to have a problem at one end of that trip or the other. Um, so that's a you know that's the most obvious example. <clears throat> there are some other examples. Um, cities may have different map requirements for AVs that are operated within the city. They you know regulate the resolution of the maps and how often they have to be updated and all those kinds of things. So if you're living in Cincinnati and you drive over to Louisville, are the map requirements going to be the same? Hard to know. There's no there's no regulation that does that. And if you don't have the right map regulations in place, you could be violating the law and you also could be endangering the people around you. Another example is uh, intersection designs. Right? Many of us have driven through New Jersey and have experienced the famous New Jersey jug handle intersections. Completely different construction and operation from almost any other state. Is your AV going to be programmed to understand the jug handles in New Jersey as well as the handles the uh, normal four-corner intersections that you're going to find in other states? This is a consequential decision because if you're trying to make a left turn from a <laughs> a road that has a jug handle on it and your car doesn't understand that, you're going to be smashing into oncoming traffic that is uh, that is unregulated. Uh, uh, just real quickly, I'm curious because like, I'm, I'm thinking of <clears throat> New Jersey on and off ramps. And when you come switch from one highway to another, sometimes they're, it's very short between you getting uh, out of your lane or else you're stuck in that loop again. And human drivers sometimes are jerks and don't allow you out of that lane. What are they going to do with autonomous vehicles? Do they, I mean, autonomous vehicles, are they, are they stopping on the road to wait for enough time? Because... I'm thinking in my head, and like as a human driver, you have to drive pretty aggressively. And the only way to safely merge sometimes is to go well above the speed limit. Yeah. No, that's um, a great point. Like just to decide. Uh, particularly if your AV is designed to never violate motor vehicle laws, right? So that yeah. could be a problem. Uh, we've heard reports from Arizona where people are running some AVs and test tracks or actually on city streets that some people are making a sport out of harassing the AVs because they know there's no human driver in it. So they'll, you know, bump into it, harass it, uh, get close to it, do all kinds of things to interrupt the AV operation. So I, so that's a real issue. Uh, another issue, one state may not require sensible technology that enables law enforcement to interdict out-of-control AVs, right? So... This brings up this brings up a lot of issues, but if you think of it, let's say an AV is speeding down the road at 80 miles an hour and the driver is asleep. The police have to interdict that, right? Somehow, some way. Right now, their only option is to block it by putting a, their own bodies in front of it. But let's just posit that one state may require the technology that allows the police to stop that remotely, but another state does not. How is your AV going to respond when it crosses the state line? Are you going to have to, as the AV developer, design for the, the maximum interdiction by police? 
for all 50 states and foreign countries? Or are you just going to punt on that one and, you know, decide to do nothing? That's interesting. I like, are they going to be required to have state specific software? Yeah. And is that, I, mean, is I, that I assume there be? will have to be some state specific, at least maybe not entire software packages, but in the code, they have to distinguish between, say, in um, one state, you have to pull over a lane and slow down to 25 miles per hour if there's an emergency vehicle on the shoulder and other states you may only have to slow down you may not have to move over to another lane i mean there's going to be you know thousands of these different scenarios i think where state laws have diverged that have to be uh, accounted for is it going to be set up so it's going to prevent me from driving from to a different state because i don't have the software well that's the question we don't know it yeah. should so, be, uh, Anthony. Nobody, you. Is, yeah, yeah. Okay. nobody in a position of authority has addressed that. So uh, this is another one of those huge issues that's just been left lying on the road. And the AV developers are probably hoping to just overwhelm the world with incompliant or non-compliant uh, cars before people address it. Uh, another example, and this is we've seen this in San Francisco, right? The AVs don't do very well in uh, areas where there's emergency action going on, particularly firefighting, right? They're running over hoses. They're not stopping. So it would seem that at some point in the future, a city would require some kind of signal or some kind of, of way of interacting with the AVs that forces them to avoid areas where there's a police action going on or firefighting action going on. That's probably going to happen at the state level if it ever happens or the city level but it's inconsistent with probably other cities that don't go to the trouble of doing that a national standard would be good but both of these issues uh this one and the law enforcement interdiction bring up a lot of civil rights issues they bring up a lot of equity issues associated with police being able to stop vehicles um if, a, if the police can stop a vehicle without any interaction from or awareness of the people inside the vehicle, is that probable cause? You know, how, how does that work? It's an interesting situation. One other example I'll, I will throw in here is that a lot of municipalities are connected by ferries. <clears throat> some, <clears throat> some states are connected by ferries. So if you want to cross that political boundary, you also must address the physical limitations and the safety limitations of the ferry or the bridge that are joining those two municipalities. There's no reason to expect them to be different, and you may have to have special behavior when you cross the boundary between those two. For example, if you're going to get on a ferry, right, there's, it's not easy to do. You've got a lot of hand signals. People tell you where to come, what to do, where to park the car, get out of the car, all these kinds of things. It's a very complex operation. People do it pretty well. Uh, people, you know, respond to the hand signals. For an AV, this is going to be a huge challenge. It's just not right for the companies to leave all these issues lying on the roadside as they as they push these vehicles out uh, for people to come familiar with them. The companies themselves should get behind the idea of legislation that protects people as well as they're trying to protect their own markets for the AV development, my opinion. End of rant. Back to you. <laughs> so, listener, I think this is 
what I love about our discussions on the, the Consumer AV Bill of Rights is that a lot of things that we discuss here are reactive. We'll talk about recall roundups, and these are bad things that happened. These are things that we're trying to point out as dangerous or problematic that happened already. With the Autonomous Vehicle Consumer Bill of Rights, we're talking about something that's going to happen. So this is something that we really want your input and your actions on because we're helping. We're Right now, as far as I can tell, we're the only ones pushing against industry, even in a small amount, to say, hey, here are a list of things that you guys are not even thinking about. Or if you are, you're not telling anyone about it. So this is something where we can all get involved and actually make a difference before they flood the market with these things. Uh, end of my Well, rant. thank you. And I also think it's really useful for legislators to have this as a reference because right now the entire discussion is dominated by the developers and the legislators and the regulators are all they respond to the information that they have at hand right because they're reasonable people so i think the the new road that we're plowing here with this av bill of rights is we're giving them a counterpoint intellectually from what they've been seeing already from the developers and at least allowing them to raise questions about whether or not they've got a competent set of regulations before they let these things on the road. Yeah, because we sat through a uh, autonomous vehicle uh, phone call last week or so, and, and the question was asked, what kind of regulations do you want from the government around these things? And all the participants from the major auto manufacturers just kind of looked at each other like, uh, uh, uh. Well, I think uh, that most most of them said, you know, they want something that's technology neutral, which basically means the right. government is not specifying how you're going to solve some of these issues we talk about, like what exact technology you're going to use. Um, but what the government can do is specify, for instance, with, with automatic emergency braking right now, we're seeing um, phantom braking incidents. The government could, and it's AEB rule, specify that that all these systems have to meet certain tolerances where phantom braking reactions are virtually eliminated um can they do that i don't know is that possible i don't know but the, in, in the av space that's that's a way of making sure that um totally lost my brain there well i i just <laughs> want to follow up that with that and say that the AV Consumer Bill of Rights that you can find on our website is technology neutral. We're not saying that you have to do things in a certain way. We're just right. saying that in order to protect the public, these are the things that you need to consider and you need to demonstrate that you're able to accomplish these safety functions before it's safe to allow these massive, dangerous hand grenades out on the highway um, without protections or without adequate protections for consumers. We're all consumers, folks. Exactly. Even if you're not in the car, you're a pedestrian. We want to make sure it's safe for you. Or you're a policeman and you're guiding traffic. It's got to be safe for you. Um, but hey, let's jump into uh, <laughs> our reactive mode and go into recall roundup. Strap in. Time for the recall roundup. Uh, we've got a bunch of good ones this week. I'm going to start off with uh, Volkswagen has a recall for a faulty front passenger detection system. Uh, this is for their model year 2018 to 2021 Atlas and 2020 Atlas Cross Sport, uh, where the faulty occupant detection system doesn't know that anyone's there. 
uh, and I guess it won't fire off an airbag. I yep. skimmed it. That's it. Okay. Right. Got it. Yeah. It, it, this recall is kind of, it's an extension and you're going to see, I think we have three recalls this week that are like this and it's where a manufacturer sees an issue um, or it's reported to NHTSA and NHTSA reaches out to the manufacturer and they go to NHTSA, they talk to them and say, well, we've identified that, that you know, the, the, the one that we got to report on is from this batch. Um, and so we're going to recall that batch. And we're going to make everybody safe doing that. And then they walk out of NHTSA. And then, you know, a, a couple of months later, oh, they got a complaint from another batch. <laughs> and this is something that is happening and has happened over and over again, just hundreds of times since since NHTSA came into being and the whole recall system came into being. Because what manufacturers are doing here, they know full well there's a potential that the component or the part that's failing is failing in, or will fail in all of their vehicles. But the longer they can prevent themselves from having to recall all those vehicles, the more of those vehicles are going to be off the road, the less repairs they're going to have to perform. And, you know, there's a chance there may not be any more incidents and they'll get off scot-free here. So we've seen this, you know, with, with the major airbag problems like Takata, you know, these small recalls turn into larger recalls, turn into big recalls. Um, we've seen, you know, even as long as 20 years ago, Ford did a very similar thing with its uh cruise control deactivation switches that were catching on fire while vehicles were parked in garages they just continued to put out these little recalls and ultimately ended up call recalling i think 15 million vehicles or more in the end so it's the only way to stop that is for NHTSA to be more proactive on the front end um, and to make these manufacturers do their due diligence and then looking at these recalls. Um, I can give you a really big example right now of where this is happening is in the ARC airbag uh, situation where General Motors and I believe another manufacturer to who have ARC airbags installed in their vehicles. These are the ones that can ex can explode in a similar but not same way as the Takata airbags. Um, every time there has been one of these incidents with an ARC airbag, the company has come in and said, oh, this is just a bad batch. We had a bad week. It was a bad Friday, whatever. Um, and that's, it looks like it's turning out not to be the case. I mean, this these things are starting to explode in uh, all sorts of batches, which shows that there's not a production issue, but a design problem or, you know, a longstanding production issue that happens in a lot of different batches. So um, in this case, the odd thing on the VW uh, is that the airbag's not deploying and NHTSA's put out a warning saying that you know, no one should sit in that seat, um, which interested me mainly from the perspective of how do you know that the rear seat in the VW Atlas is safer than a front seat without an airbag? I mean, we've talked a lot about um, the differences in protection in the front seat and back seats. For instance, in the front seat of that VW Atlas, you're probably going to have a pretensioner and um, a locking mechanism, other things on your seat belt that you won't have in the rear seat. So are you truly safer moving out of that seat where the airbag's not deploying? What kind of data was used to base that warning on? I, I, I'm still haven't figured that one out but that's that that was an interesting recall expansion to say the least hmm. uh lucid has a recall and uh for all of you lucid owners just return the vehicle 
Um, Anthony doesn't like uh, Lucid. <laughs> no, I love the idea of Lucid. I think it's very cool, but it's you know it's a hundred and ten thousand dollar car that I think at this point they've recalled every single one. It's just it's they it's a hunt i mean if i you've got one hundred ten thousand dollars to spend on a car like buy a house like okay but it's a house not in the u.s but it's a, or maybe it is just you know somewhere uh, anyway lucid uh, uh 637 vehicles where this is uh reading through the recall this is something with part of the electric motors will uh fail that that power will no longer um, happen there, and this may lead to loss of propulsion without pre-warning, and may increase the risk of a right. crash. What well, this was a very dense one. Um, so well, what is there's, there's something weird. Something weird went on here that I still can't figure out, which is that Lucid escaped some of the news cycle on this. Apparently, they filed. These are my air quotes, people. You can't see them. They filed a recall in February that never appeared on the NHTSA website. We didn't pick it up in our various recall roundups online, on air. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago in March, this second document um, actually became available saying that there was a recall and the recall was added to NHTSA's list in a manner that dated it in February. So none of the news, typical folks who pick up on this kind of thing, pick up on the news. That was just an odd situation. I still haven't figured that out, but this does address something that appeared in our New Year's resolutions episode and a couple other times last year, which are these lucids dying and stalling at highway speed in the middle of roads. Um, Lucid is saying that it's occurring because of switches that are double dipping. There's a double dipping problem going on here. I don't know if many of you have seen that Seinfeld episode, but if you haven't, it's probably worth a look. And they're saying that it's, you know, there's a limited number of vehicles that are having this problem occurring, but ultimately what it does is it shuts the vehicle's drive power down and, and you can't drive the vehicle. This seems to be an explanation to some of the the loss of power events that we've seen in lucid um i'm not sure if it covers all of them we know that in some of these events entire batteries were replaced this they weren't just contactors double dipping contactors or connections in the electric system so um we're keeping an eye on this one and on lucid generally um because of some of the you know odd things we've seen come out of there all right, so we, we've taken a lot of time. I'm just going to do one last right. recall. Uh, we'll push the other ones to next week. And we're going to go to our, our friends at Hyundai right. Kia. Uh, trailer hitch fires. They, using Michael's air quotes, they found half a million defective trailer hitches that were unknown last August when this happened. Uh, when we first discussed that, I, I think, no, we weren't doing this. Yeah, we might have been. Yeah, we. this was one an early one we yep. discussed. Um I think this is might be like episode two or three. I don't understand how. I don't understand why these guys. You know, they know there's a problem, and they just kind of let just sweep it under the rug. Oh, it's there's no one there's no one putting their feet to the fire. I mean, some of the things that you know, Nitz is supposed to be putting their feet to the fire here, but on when it comes to doing looking into recalls that have already been conducted and deciding whether the remedy is correct, whether they did it in time, it's it's not something that Nitz is always fully engaged on, from my opinion. Um, 
you see some of the remedies that manufacturers propose, and we've probably noted this in a number of episodes when we talk about free calls, where uh, a remedy is a very cheap software, air quote, fix that doesn't, that, that might address the safety issue, but it doesn't really fix the car. It doesn't put it into a state where it doesn't have a defect. It's simply mitigating what the defect is. This is the big problem with the Hyundai Kia fire recalls where they have the knock sensor um, software update that really just cuts your engine off, puts you into a limp home mode at a very low speed and forces you to drive down the side of the highway, if at all, or to park your vehicle to prevent the image engine from being damaged and from the fire, the fire from occurring. It doesn't, that recall did nothing for Kia and Hyundai owners um other than prevent you know the rare chance that they would have a fire in their cars but what it what it did was it forces them into this limp home mode which is frankly a safety issue and when you see other manufacturers consider a vehicle in limp home limp home mode to be a safety issue so it's it's a very questionable practice um and you know limiting recalls like this when you know there's a real chance of a larger problem is it shouldn't require nitsa to have to do what they do here and to have monthly meetings and to babysit hyundai and kia into doing this recall they know they've distributed a lot of these trailer kit trailer hitch kits to their dealers they know they're probably going to have this problem and and they're essentially trying to guarantee that they're going to have less replacements and they're going to save money through the recall process, which is somewhat despicable. Mm. Uh, the last one, another Hyundai Kia, is a uh, Hyundai uh, windshield wipers, uh, potentially 167,085 vehicles, the 2021 to 2023 Hyundai Palisades. Uh, they, uh, the windshield wipers may function intermittently or stop functioning when impeded by accumulation of snow and or ice. Now, I, I remember, I mean, I grew up in the Northeast and you'd, you'd snowed, heavy snow, you removed the snow because you didn't want to um, burn out the motor that the, the windshield wipers use. So is there some sort of guideline of how much snow these things are supposed to move? You know, I think there may be a compliance uh, standard on that. I'm not, I'm not up to speed on my recall. I mean, uh, my uh, windshield wiper uh, motor vehicle safety center. But there is a motor vehicle safety center that applies to windshield wipers. This case, it doesn't look like it was a non-compliance. So it was it was an actual recall. Now, this is yet another example um, where they did a small recall many months ago. NHTSA has actually opened a recall query on this one to look into it and to make sure that they're recalling all of the vehicles that are involved. So, you know, today is, you know, the uh, day of recalls where there are, you know, many, many, many more components that are dangerous than the companies are initially willing to admit. We're seeing a lot of examples of those today. So may maybe NHTSA has started to figure this out and is getting on top of them, or maybe it's just a chance occurrence. Yeah, just to give a little more information on this, because my first read of it was like, well, I mean, uh, how much snow is this thing supposed to move is from the recall notice accumulation of snow and or ice between the driver's side wiper arm and cowl can cause circuit breaker activation within the wiper motor. So now I get it. It is actually a poor design on our part. It was the, the circuit breaker will, will kick in because too much snow got in one spot. Now I, 
I get now, it. they put a redesigned wiper arm into production in November of 2022. Um, it took them a few more months yes. to actually recall the vehicles that had the crappy one. So go figure. But again, I want to know, like, you know, wipers, like these little things. We see wipers, backup cameras. These things have been around for a couple of weeks. Like, the design should be duh, especially wipers. Like, how Well, the thing you- is, if you're always trying to reduce your costs on every part that you have on your vehicle, then you're basically constantly redesigning the vehicle, right? Mm, <laughs> interesting. Well, that's why I got out of the auto manufacturing game. Uh, all right, gentlemen, anything up else before we uh, bid our listeners adieu? Just one quick thing. Uh, we use a lot of acronyms, and we forget that our newer listeners may not understand all those acronyms. So uh, I want to refer people back to some of the earliest podcasts that we did where we went through acronyms. For example, NHTSA means National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. To us, we this is like breathing. We understand that. But for our new listeners, if you want to go back to the early episodes, you'll find a lot of the acronyms that we routinely use explained and defined in those and, we'll- and if we get a sixth monthly donor, not only will Fred tell you the tank story, but he will also define a few other acronyms in rapid fire succession. And I also want to point out that I was not a Tiananmen Square, so I'm not that guy. <laughs> that is true. All right. Hey, thanks, listeners. Please send us your feedback. Uh, especially on the Consumer AV Bill of Rights. We'll make it more prominent on the website once we find whoever runs the website. We will, uh, we're will. we looking for monthly donors. Please, we just need five, and you get an amazing story. Six, you get acronyms explained. Seven, Michael comes over to your house and takes you shopping to a Piggly Wiggly. I'm down uh, with that. So, There's a long <laughs> way to the Piggly Wiggly from here. <laughs> but it's worth All it. Right, well, hey. <laughs> Thanks, right, everybody. everybody. Until next week. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.